When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, oh, are we recording right now? Yeah, we're, we're recording now. Uh, oh. Yeah, I'm going to start it off. Uh, you ready? Yep. Hey, everybody. I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, who joined us in 2013 as our editor-in-chief. What's uh, going on, everybody? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, I think those who have followed us for some time know that we ended our website three weeks ago, which now seems like three years ago. I don't know about you. Um, yeah. But we also said that it wasn't going to be the end of AFA, so it was going to be the next episode. So this is the beginning of that new chapter of the next episode. Uh, welcome to our official podcast called What's the Headline? It's called What's the Headline because, you know, for years we didn't have uh, an office. We had a virtual writing room in the form of a Google Doc. And it was a place where we had a lot of heated arguments. Like there are times where I think if Jake and I were in the office, we might have actually gone outside. And like, <laughs> I know Jake's going to whoop my ass a few times, uh, probably more than a few times, actually. Um, and he can't even deny the laughter because he knows it's true. But in any case, uh, you know, the thing that really dictated what we did was the headline. Things changed for us back. Let's say like probably around 2012 or so, I used to write these long headlines that would be the entire story and stuff like that. But it really became kind of the mantra for what's the angle? What's the, the purpose of this article? Like, you know, why are people reading? And it had to be catchy because in social media, we know what the game is. But we also wanted to always make sure the headlines are a little bit more the premise of the article. So this episode, this podcast is really going to be funneled through that, that concept. What's the headline? So... You know, we're starting it out today. It's only going to get better. You know, um, there's no edits or anything like that. It's live. Jake and I are naturally not the in-your-face, you know, all in the all in the videos type dudes. Dancing. Uh, dancing. Definitely not dancing. <laughs> but, you know, we're trying to be transparent and authentic as we always try to do with our writing. So that's what this is. Uh, so, Jake, I got a question for you to start it off, and I'll answer the question, too, but uh, why should anyone care what you have to say? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I've always entered a conversation with a take it or leave it approach. Um, and for me, you know, 18 years professionally in this, it was always a conversation. Here's what I think is great. Here's what I don't particularly like. Take it or leave it. Um, I think anyone tuned into this misses that daily conversation with AFH. But I, uh, I certainly believe when it comes to hip hop and a few other subjects that, uh, you know, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, flex a little bit. Like how long have you been doing this? I started, uh, in 2000 and, um, 2001, 2002, I was in high school and I was writing for my high school newspaper and, uh. I won't lie to you. The reason I did it is to get free music back in the day, you would get CDs and vinyl sent to you, but I really, it made me pay a deeper level of attention to music. And that led itself into my freshman year of college, starting out with all hip hop within a year and change. I became a features editor. Um, I stayed there five years left in 2007 to very quickly um, become the editor in chief of hip hop DX for until uh, mid-2013 when I joined AFH. So if you take all of that time, it's 18 years. And outside of that, I, um, you know, I wrote for a lot of the magazines that were around when they were around. Double uh, XL wrote a cover story for The Source with Snoop Dogg. Um, I've written for Forbes. Uh, you know, done a number of things in digital print, some television work, some publishing book work. Um, so this month, just to bring it full circle, is wild for me because March 2nd was the first time since 2002 that I woke up without a full-time job in hip-hop, um, or at least something that I treated like a full-time job in hip-hop, which was wild. But um, before we get to all that, man, why, uh, 
why should anybody listen to Reggie Williams? <laughs> you know, it's funny, man. Um, like you, I started, you know, this was something that was born in me way before I ever thought about being a professional. You know, my parents got me, you know, it was called a jukebox. It was really a, a big record player that stood up and had some lights on it when I was three years old. And I remember, you know, I had a Soul Train compilation and, uh, you know, it had like the OJ's Backstabbers and, you know, Everybody plays the fool uh, by the main ingredient, you know. And like from that day on, man, like music was always my salvation. And later on, it started to become something more than that. It became a universal language for me, you know. Um, I, I grew up in a black neighborhood, went to a black church, but also went to a like predominantly white school. And so it was my way of kind of like bridging the gap, you know. It was my communication tool. So you know, um, I could speak fluently from everything from heavy metal rock to you know funk and soul and hip-hop and eventually hip-hop became my thing you know uh, I was kind of first generation hip-hop you know I was eight nine years old when Rapper's Delight dropped and you know moved the words to all 15 minutes the whole nine <laughs> you know and eventually that evolved to me kind of being that guy who recommended music to people you know I, I spent my allowance every week I was going to get a tape on Friday that was like the day like that I went and got my tapes cassettes and all that you know in college same thing you know and I always fantasized about being a DJ when I got older so in 1999 I started my first uh, website because I thought that hip-hop needed something in a digital space that spoke to you know everything it brought to the table from music film tv the whole nine and I kind of accelerated that plan of being a DJ but I became a virtual DJ since then you know run down my race bit man a little bit that that company at its height we reached about seventy thousand people a month which i thought was just awesome at that point and, you know most people didn't have like they had dial-up connections and stuff like that so that was like really kind of boring um but afterwards you know i ended up going to mtv uh, i did a lot of stuff there uh, i was trying to take mtv jams and make it into a full-blown hip-hop network of movies and tv shows and stuff like that uh, that didn't work out, so I left, and then I went to BET, and, um, you know, I started at Birds of the Heads just a little bit before that, and, you know, the whole time I was there, because I had my ear to the street differently, just doing AFH as something that I loved. Oh, I skipped a part, too. I was a lawyer back in the day, as you know. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I represented some people like DJ Premier and Guru and, like, you know, uh, Big B. From it, you know, which became Atlantic Records, Payday, and all that stuff. So, was steeped in the culture back then. That was '97 or so. I walked in, I got handed a file that said DJ Premier producing Rakim. I'm like, you know, I was just like, oh, you could have killed me right then. It was all good. But you know, that love carried through. And so now, when I start AFH, I got my ear to the street. I'm doing it for the love. Like literally, one of my favorite things to do on Friday nights was go back and look at what I had like kind of cobbled together for the week listen to it, watch the videos and stuff like that. But it put me on to people like Kendrick and J. Cole and Big Crit and Logic and all these guys way, way, way before any, most people knew them or super underground and allowed me uh, to, you know, work with them on the AFH side. And then when I thought it was the right time, start to put them on BET. So, you know, I guess when you look at it, I got a 20-year resume with hip-hop as well. And, uh, you know, but the proof is in the pudding, man. You know, I had an idea. I thought that people needed uh, something that spoke to, you know, the lyricism, the musicality, the substance, instead of just the gossip and the, you know, the fuckery, for lack of a better term, that I saw in 2008 because, you know, I kind of lost my love for hip-hop. You know, I was, you know, I liked Ross and Jeezy was cool. Never really uh, a Wayne fan personally. But when J. Cole dropped the warm-up, he brought me back. That let me know, wow, there's something out there. And as I started to dig, I saw more and more. I looked at sites like Now Right and Two Dope Boys and saw, you know, there's something there. And I thought that we could, uh, you know, create something that spoke to a specific audience. And the proof is ultimately in the pudding. You know, we built something. You know, I started it in 2010, but we together built something that ultimately reached tens of millions of people across the world. You know, and, uh, so I guess. People should listen because they care. They care about our opinion. And our opinion is not like God or higher than anyone else's, but we are true to the culture. And I think a lot of people are, are too, and that's what it feels to me. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, people crave the culture, you know, whether at barbershops or over text with that group of friends that you have, or, you know, there's every, everyone, everyone I know has that group that they want to talk about hip hop with. And I think that AFH and you and I in our personal lives have been that for a lot of people. And, you know, over the last three weeks, um, two, three weeks, apart from everything else going on in the world, I've, I've missed that. And it's been funny. I know one of the things that, you know, I wanted to ask you about and, you know, is, is how do you, how do you reconcile that? How do you keep that sense of purpose and responsibility going? Oh, that's a good question, man. Uh, (laughs) It's it's crazy. Like uh, in these times, and we'll we'll get to this, you know, I think um, everybody knows the backdrop of what's going on. The world has literally fundamentally changed in the last two weeks and it's only going to continue changing. But, you know, it started for you and me, um, on March 2nd, you know, because we, we both did have this thing that drove our lives for you for seven, me for 10, and really it was a 20 year journey. It was an anchor. You know, I think about that concept a lot. What are your anchors? You know, um, for some people, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's family and children. I think you and I both have that family aspect, you know, significant others, jobs, things like that. But, you know, AFH for us was not only our job, but our life's passion. You know? And so to let that go, it was weird, man. It was really, really strange, you know. Um, I don't think that I, I, I ever did, actually. You know, I've listened to more music probably in the last two weeks than I have um, in that span in a long time because I've been really proactive about staying up in the culture. I've gone out and I've branched out beyond what we listen to. And uh, I started listening to, like, uh, Roddy Rich and, Uzi Vert and everything, and I'm really trying to like, you know, you know, not be like old man river kind of stuff, you know. Um, yeah. But you know, and and but I haven't been as connected to the the business of hip hop, you know. I haven't like been checking websites as much and you know, seeing what's going on. I've really just been focused on the music and part that I love. You know, how about you? How about you? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Okay, my my uh, might be a little bit in and out. Um, yeah, I mean the same. I uh, what I've been doing um, is kind of going back to the mouth of the river for me. Like with my journey with hip hop, I've been listening to a lot of um, '90s West Coast rap, um, a lot of the Gangstar Foundation stuff that really. Um, brought me into a different level in the culture and and like you too I always want to know what's hot and new um you know I've worked with younger folks a lot of my life you know apart from my work in in music and to me hip-hop is it's it's a pulse of youth culture it's an understanding of of where people's minds are and I don't ever see myself getting away from that so yeah a lot of I've been listening to Uzi Vert's new album um you know, definitely have been trying out what I always did, you know, the, the rap caviars of the world. And um, I enjoy that. That's something I will always pledge to do and take with it what I can. But it's, it's so important to always, for me, have an artist that is um, on the cusp that you root for. It's no different than, you know, the playoffs start and your favorite team might not be in the bracket, but you pick one that you're rooting for. And yeah, so I, I think we're alike in that way. You know, it was always interesting to me to see the life that the brand took on by itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I started the brand and it was very much, I mean, it started aligned with me specifically. My daughter's a very, very broad taste. Like I like everything from, you know, Drake and Uzi Vert to like, you know, Mad Libs and Van Dyn. Like, um, you know, everything in between. But, and, you know, if you go back and look at AFH in those early days, we embraced all those artists. But eventually, the brand started taking on uh, something that was different than what I started it to be. And I think the clearest um, indication of this is when we did the first, you know, Finding the Goat MC. And, you know, Jay-Z is my goat. Uh, he's been my goat for a long time. Um, you know, him and Tupac. You know, Kendrick is knocking on the door. You know, like, that dude is like, you know, when all is said and done, he could end up being that goat. Um, but, you know, as much as people thought we rigged that finding the goat competition, 
Yeah. In a you know Sweet Sixteen round, MF Doom beat Jay Z. Like you know, and that to me was like, holy shit! How the hell did this happen? You know what I mean? Um, A Z beat Lauren Hill, right? A Z beat Lauren Hill. You know, I'm still saucy about that. <laughs> Look, no shade to A Z. I think yeah. he was absolutely incredible. Um, but I, you know, I think Lauren Hill has had a, a historical and a cultural impact that is unrivaled by most artists. Period. Like hmm. uh, across the board, but. You know, when, so on the one hand, I was like, man, what has happened? I've lost complete control when, when Doom beat Jay-Z. But on the other hand, I was actually kind of proud because it meant that the brand had grown to be something beyond me. And, you know, I think that you and I both saw that and we respected that. And while we tried to not be confined by it, we also did like kind of lock in and lean into it too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And- yeah, and I look as as the team at AFH expanded, you know, to freelance contributors and Amanda Mester, who was a key part of, you know, three, two or three, four years of AFH, you know, our varying tastes kind of became a Ouija board of who's moving it. And we all had different input. We all had um, polarizing takes on on artists, on albums, on news stories, on and it's funny, like it became a living, breathing thing, which I know was always kind of your vision for it, you know, yeah. of being more than just, you know, Reggie's blog or Reggie's website or, you know, whatever. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, speaking of the end, uh, you know, we ended, uh, it'll be three weeks ago tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And there was an outpouring of love that was just absolutely mind-blowing. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter emails, phone calls, like, you know, texts, whatever. Can you talk about the impact that had on you and, like, you know, what it meant? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a cynical person, but I'm, I consider myself a realist. And going into Monday, March 2nd, um, there was part of me that anticipated a tree falling in the forest Um, That was the analogy I used and, you know, and not necessarily anybody hearing it. I know there's, there's folks that engage with us um, reading the site on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, every single day, Um, sometimes every post, but it's been a weird year, you know, and in March 2nd, you know, coming off of a, a lot of sadness and disappointment in 2020, I didn't know if people would take audit. And that day was quite the opposite. It was, um, an outpouring of love that seemed to culminate the years of AFH being here, you know, really a decade. I kept seeing that in the comments on the social platforms of a decade. So for me, it was, it was a very cathartic validation of what you envisioned and what I had worked at and, and tried my best to enhance over the last seven years. And to me, it was not a sad day. It was an odd day. But it was a really um, kind of upbeat, you know, like like the great last 10 minutes of a great movie that doesn't necessarily end the way you expect it when you sit down. But in the end, you know that it's a classic movie because of that ending. And you also know that it's not over there for the characters involved, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's dope. Um, yeah, for me, it was, it was surreal. You know? um, it was a lot like just our coverage over the years, you know, I was explaining to someone recently that like whenever there was a major event, like, uh, especially like somebody dying, like Nipsey or Pac or Prince or something like that, you know, these are people who meant something a lot to us personally, you know, yeah. sometimes they knew them, you know, personally, um, but at the very least, we were incredibly passionate about the art that they produced and what it did to our lives, but as journalists, we weren't able to like be in the moment, you know, happen. We had to shift into professional mode and write the story, right? Like we had to like, you know, be there for the audience. And so for me, you know, we were doing so much to like wrap things up and, you know, execute and, you know, deliver in the moment that it took a little while for me to just step back and be able to sit down and process, whoa, this is actually the end of an era for the site. Even though it's not the end for AFH, the site has been a huge like staple in my life. It's been the thing that's like had me working twenty four seven for like the last ten years, and you know. Um, but to then see, sit back and look at the reactions and just that overwhelming amount of love and respect from peers and fans and you know artists and executives, dude, it was 
it was unreal. And like you said, validating. That was definitely the thing for me too. It, it let me know that we had built something that meant a lot to a lot of people. And, you know, also gave me reason to think there was reason to go on and fly this plane to other things. You know? So, um, a podcast, like, the world needs another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right now, maybe. <laughs> like, it, like it needs, like, you know, another, like, uh, another tweet. Um, yeah. So w- why, why this podcast and why not? What, like, what is this going to serve? I think that at the core of it is a selfish thing. I mean, I think that you and I um, and some of our, you know, closest associates have this daily conversation that we haven't been having. I mean, you and I have still texted each other on a fairly almost daily basis about just like, yo, did you hear this album? Or yo, this song is really resonating with me today. But I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that the voice of AFH and what we covered is necessary. And I think it needs to live in other ways. And running a website is one thing um, that takes, you know, I always say 16 hours a day, no matter who's doing it, you need 16 hours of hands on deck to run a hip hop news and music website, the way that I feel it should be done. But this allows us to live our lives, um, continue to grow the, the brand, hopefully, but, take an hour or two here or there to um, do what we've always done, huddle up and and share this conversation. And I I think that your vision for this podcast is a bit interactive too. So it it keeps some of that spirit alive. Um, That's my understanding. It's something that I'd want to listen to because it's a, it's a casual conversation about hip hop and the lifestyle around it. Yeah, you know, without a doubt, you know, when I have checked in the publications and other podcasts, I felt myself um, a couple of things. One, I wanted to get into the conversation, right, because I have diverging viewpoints on things, and you know, we'll start to talk about that in a few minutes. But you know, um, also, I just not have not seen things covered in the voice that we had. You know, I think that you know we brought something unique to the table. You know, I'm a I'm a rock with that and walk with that proudly. So I want us to continue to contribute to that. And I think that you know there are lots of people out there who want to see hip hop covered in the way that we do. And to your point about participation, yeah, I mean, uh, we are going to invite artists and producers and executives to come in and have this conversation with us. We'll invite some of our esteemed like co-workers like you know Amanda and Justin Hunt you know and uh, the company man and people like that too but we'll also open it up to fans you know I want to uh, you know our most vocal fans like I want I want people to come in and like mix it up with us man this is going to be a fully interactive thing you know I think that's what separated us from many other sites is that we truly had a community and I think that goat was a reflection of that by yeah. like letting the people decide on things rather than dictating to them, you know, what's the best album of the year or who's the best producer or whatever it may be. I think that this podcast is an opportunity to really engage and mix it up with that too. Yeah. And I, I can't, I can't overstate that too, is I, I believe this before I was at AFH, but to run a publication, I remember subscribing to the source and that same thing was like a podcast. Like I would want to tell somebody why I agreed with the, how many mics an album got, or I wanted to jump in on the interview with somebody and be like, no, you didn't ask the one question. And the beautiful thing about a website is you have that fourth wall um, open. And a lot of the decisions that I think you and I and the rest of our team made over the last 10 years were because of a comment that we had or because of a number of likes or engagement something had. Like we let our readers and fans and, and community dictate where the priorities were. And that is so paramount at a time when it's so easy to just think you're a tastemaker and you can dictate culture to your audience, which I don't think is the way anything like living, breathing, like hip hop should be done with the technology we have available. So this podcast, yeah, go ahead. I I think we're, I think we're past that point, right? I don't think that there is a definitive, you know, viewpoint on anything. I think it's all kind of a collaboration, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yo, uh, before we get into the, the, the culture, like, uh, you know, the obvious thing that's in the backdrop for all of us is how this pandemic is affecting each one of our daily lives. So, you know, how has it affected you? What it, How has it, like, affected your you know, consumption of hip-hop, pop culture, like, you know, your how you've related to people, all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, just throughout the month, even before um, 
you know, the virus, um, coronavirus, I, the the world's been moving slower for me. I mean, just not being um, obligated to a news cycle is, is, is crazy to me. So I kept saying, I, I you know, I had the opportunity of, of meeting with you earlier in the month and I keep feeling like I'm actually um, intoxicated, like stoned, because everything is like slow and peaceful for me. And that obviously changed with the pandemic, but I have more time. I'm listening more carefully. I'm watching more movies um, than I have in like in the last week <laughs> than I have in, in quite some time in years. Um, but to you, to a point you made music. I've ha- one thing I can say is I've had trouble sleeping. Um, I've been up very odd hours. I've been sleeping in later than I have in years, but at one, two, three in the morning, music is, you know, um, music is that, that anchor, that, that, that safety blanket and a lot of, you know, a lot of hip hop. And, um, so that's been, I didn't expect that. Um, you know, can, you, can, hip-hop, has it been old, new, like, you know, both, like what, what's it been? At the late night, it's been, it's been this weird thing. I kind of alluded to it a moment ago, but I'm going back to, um, a lot of the music that made me fall in love with hip hop at deeper levels. There were certain, you know, it's like, it's like scuba diving or something. There were certain things like the first time, um, that I heard tribe was one, you know, Tupac was another gang star. And for me, I don't know about you, but growing up in that era, like you would, you know, you would see, you would learn who DJ premier was and then find all the other artists that he was producing. So it became this, this um, like choose your own adventure with buying records. And obviously probably like you, I was on limited funds. So I would go to music pawn shops a lot and try to get the most bang for my buck. And you, when you only have so many albums, you're listening to them rigorously. And that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, And I've also been trying to take advantage of the fact that thanks to technology, you can listen to all the albums you never owned. And I'm, I'm going back to certain waves and movements and, kind of getting lost in them and that's been a nice distraction from what I've been seeing on social media and you know the news um because right now to be out of a job for the first time in 18 years at this time um with what we've seen over the last you know 14 days if I spend too much time thinking about that I uh, I won't sleep at all yeah I mean speaking of which what's your uh, relation what's your chemical intake been we don't have to get more specific about what kind of thing, but like, have you, have you gone up in terms of drinking or down or like even up a bit, up a bit. And I'm aware of it. And it's, um, it's something that, you know, entering a new week, I want to, I want to address. So in, in 2020, I got back in the gym in a way that I hadn't in a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, the very first time that I got scared, that I felt fear in my heart from what was going on in the world was I, I was I was actually on an elliptical and I was like, man, gyms are, are just, you know, it's like the most germ filled place you can be, even if everyone's wiping down machines. So I left and I want to kind of get on an at home regimen, but without that, not sleeping. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been drinking more and, and maybe it's a blessing, but I live in Pennsylvania and on Tuesday last week on um, March 17th, they closed all the liquor stores indefinitely. Um, so you can still buy, you know, like beer and, and stuff like that, but it's harder to get in this state than it is other ones. But that's definitely in the week to come, something I want to keep in check. How about you? Yeah, you know, it's crazy, man. Um, you know, I, um, you know, it, it's probably been up a little bit in the last week or so, you know, uh, I won't say significantly, uh, you know, part of you know, I've been trying to be mindful about it, and um, I think this week I might just be completely sober, see how that feels. I've really been trying to try on different things and see, like, what the equilibrium is and what feels best. You know, I've yeah. definitely kept up with my workout routine, and, you know, I, I, had been, I had the same thing that you did where I was, you know, working on a plan of fitness, which is gross enough under any circumstances. You know? All right, chill. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, um, but, you know, um, I've, I've got, like, some home gym equipment, and I've been really, like, kind of going hard with that, and that's, that's you know, speaking of anchors, that's, that's been my anchor, as you know, for a long time. Yeah. So that keeps me sane, keeps me healthy, feels like I'm doing something to keep my, my 
immune system up and stuff like that. So that's been good. Um, have you had trouble sleeping? You know, I haven't. It's it's weird. Like, um, you know, it just well, first of all, I've just been like so on the go with the daytime gig. Like, you know, it's just been overwhelming. So I'm exhausted by the time. And you know, I'm in Cali now, and I'm keeping the East Coast hours. So you know, I'm working from like five five thirty in the morning until like whenever. And so. You know, my days are full, um, so I haven't had a hard time sleeping, but, you know, I'm not sure that it's that restful either, because, you know, in terms of sure. work, the first thing I think about is, man, is this, is this still going, or was this a dream, so, you know. But, yo, so, um, it's definitely had an impact on our lives in a uh, heavy and, like, kind of overwhelming way, but there's also been some amazing stuff that happened, so, um D nice, you know, he's been doing this this party, this uh, quarantine party for the last, uh, you know, club quarantine for the last five days or so. And started off with a couple hundred people or so. Have you checked it out at all? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, but you, you didn't see it yesterday, right? Did I did, it? I did. Luckily, I was able to catch um, catch it later in the night. And uh, man, I mean, first of all, D nice is just somebody that I look up to so much because you know, he's one of those artists that has you know, from rapping to production, to DJing, to being a historian, he's really, he's done it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, he and I have become very friendly over the years. We've hung out a number of times. Yeah. It's cool because, you know, his career is so storied, you know, having done what he did with with BDP and then like, you know, being an artist and to have reinvented himself as kind of like a Renaissance man, you know, photographer, videographer, but like, you know, primarily DJ. Uh, has been great to see, um, but but what he's been doing the last few days yesterday felt way bigger than hip hop. I've been out having you know taking on that dead club mantra a number of times, and you know this felt like cathartic. This felt like transcendent. Like music was that healer. I think it's yeah. what brought you and me together. I think it's what connected us with our audience. We all feel the power of music to heal and like you know take care of us in times like this and see a hundred thousand people simultaneously watching this dude playing music and doing what he loves in his kitchen and everyone from michelle obama to like uh you know will smith and jada pinkett and black thought and like i mean common premiere yeah i mean it's just it was insane you know it felt like a movement you could feel people rooting for the number to get bigger and bigger so that was one of the instances of how this has transformed things in an amazing way you know it's caused us to in a lot of ways, kind of like, you know, shed all the, the bullshit divisions and like, you know, you know, finger pointing and stuff like that, which obviously still does go on, but like, we're all facing a greater enemy than, you know, any of the like nonsense that most of us think is the enemy and it unites us in cool ways like that. Yeah. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think hip hop is like one nation under a groove, you know, to use the, the P-Funk. Um, and we've all, I mean, you know, I, I, what I shared is only the the tip of the iceberg. I think we've all been weary. We've all been scared, sad. I know there's loved ones I have that, that have the virus right now. There's folks unrelated to the virus that I love and care about that have passed away this week. And after all of that last night to sit down and watch that, um, somehow you felt the togetherness of people and I'm watching the comments. Like that was the longest I've ever stayed on an IG live story. And, um, I'm seeing people I know, not just celebrities, but I'm seeing readers of the site, like folks that I would see that would be the first to comment on our Instagram posts and everyone's engaging. And it was just a wild experience. And the music totally transformed my spirits, not just the hip hop, but D-Nice was playing, you know, um, a lot of the records that, you know, inspired hip hop and happened parallel to it. And it was just, it was, it was catharsis. Yeah, it was feel good music. You know, so uh, since we've been gone, there, there's been some pretty notable releases, uh, number one of which was Jay Electronica, uh, his album. Um, you know, one of the things I want to do with this is uh, try to eliminate hot takes. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to really digest and, and process an album properly, especially something that someone has put months, if not years, into in one or two listens. You know, uh, even if you do, like, multiple listens in a 24-hour period, I think a lot of times it takes our ears and psyche a little bit of time to like, you know, really process things. And so, you know, there's 
been many times in life where I've listened to an album once or twice at first and put it down for a couple of weeks, you know, not really checking for it and come back in a couple of weeks and it ends up becoming one of my favorite albums. So two weeks in, like, uh, first of all, how often have you listened to the album and, and what are your thoughts about it? I listened to it about four times the weekend it dropped. And then I've probably played it two additional times in the, uh, the last 10 days since. So that's about six total. And then I, I, every, every year I create a playlist of just music that comes out in that year and I shuffle it a lot and I play it when I walk or when I drive or you know, when I'm doing something around the house and several of the joints on that album made that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm satisfied with it. I really like it. And I think that it, it breaks the ice. Um, I want to live with this album for quite some time, but you know, we even saw it, I think in the goat competition, you know, Jay electronic has always been held to the fact that he had no release. And I know this isn't exactly a solo release, but I think it's a very, um, it's a it's a project. It's an album with staying power, and it's something that I personally will come back to. How uh, how about yourself? You know, you know, my, so my shining suit theory on this, uh, the reason why Jay Z is so prominent, yeah, is because I think that um, you know, I think that Jay Electronica, you know, probably has struggled for a long time with completing songs. You know, so my guess is that he probably had a number of songs that had a verse or a verse and a half. You know, Jay kind of stepped in um, as someone to kind of, you know, be an assistant, like uh, really kind of like, you know, be a, you know, a number two guy and help him get these things finished. So, you know, I don't think it was like designed to be like a watch the throne type project or like Jay trying to, Jay-Z trying to pour his way into it. I think he was really kind of helping him get a completed work out. And, you know, hopefully this will be the thing that kind of opens up the vaults and lets Jay uh, be become a bit more prolific but you know for me the reaction was a lot like how i felt about 444 the first time i heard 444 i was listening as i tend to do to just the music you know for me Mm -hmm. it takes a minute i listen to the music first and then i start to lock in the blues after that um and you know musically it was okay to me you know some of it like um you know um first song like it's it's kind of like dissonant and like you know not necessarily like melodic and soulful like the music that i kind of like or gravitate to initially um but after i kind of had my immediate reaction to the music i went back and started listening to what they were saying and uh and this dude was spitting gems you know and so it, it started to appeal to me more i'd say it's probably my favorite album of the year so far you know hmm. You know, and you know, uh, that's early. It's it's March. You know, I think, yeah. I think Kendrick is coming. I think um, there's a lot of stuff that's going to compete with it. You know, or, or actually, you know, I'll save that on Royce because right. you, know, you and I have talked about that. Royce released a banger, but you know, uh, we heard that last year, so like I st- still group it into last year. But like, um, I think Royce and that are, are like my top two so far this year. Um, but you know, just thinking about it commercially speaking, um, it dropped. It, it did tw- 31,000 units in the first week, came in at number 10. So for you, is that a win for Jay Electronica? You know, because on, on a solo tip, if we'd done that, that would be incredible. Or is that like a, a, a loss to some degree for Jay-Z, who was used to debuting number one with hundreds of thousands of units of drops? Yeah, I certainly don't see it as a loss for Jay-Z. I mean, I know he didn't put his name on the project, and honestly, I don't, you know, when you type it into your DSP, I don't think it should say Jay Electronica, comma, Jay-Z. The thing that I like in it, too, is, um, you know, only built for Cuban links. You know, it, it could be Jay Electronica co-starring Jay-Z to, you know, recapture what Raekwon and Ghostface Killer did. Um, and I agree with what you said. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% settled on the music, um, but I like the lyrics a lot, and the album has grown on me from the first time I listened. But to answer your question, I don't have the answer. I... I stopped paying attention to numbers um, with the death of the CD, I, you know, and, and when I was at Hip Hop DX, one of our biggest stories every week was, you know, the sound scan. We would aggregate that and really kind of capture the narratives at play. I don't pay attention to that. And a lot of my favorite artists are folks that, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily, see. my favorite artists of the moment are folks that you would never see boast about sales. So I don't even judge Jay Electronica on that. And I certainly don't think it's a loss for Jay-Z. 
Um, do you look at it differently? Artist of the moment. Who's your favorite artist of the moment? Um, you know, like I would say, like you know, uh, a Benny the Butcher. Um, you know, somebody that I really uh, look at. Um, Rock Marciano, who's somebody that I feel like his production inspired a lot of the sound um, to the J Electronica album. It was funny because I actually didn't bother to look at the um, to look at who produced, and then it was only later, after listening for several days, that I realized Alchemist was involved and, and some other people like that. And I've always liked J Electronica as a producer. Um, when Nas put out that. Uh, untitled album in 2008, my favorite song was Queens Get the Money, which J Electronica produced. And I mean, that was 12 years ago. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's that. But no, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of underground artists that I listen to and like that you'll never see, um, you know, on the, on the, on the sound scan. So I discount numbers. What about you? Yeah, you know, uh, for me, it's really kind of, it's kind of begged the question of like, uh, you know, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, like, is there still like a point of doing that? You know, I think I think it brings a lot of pressure, undue pressure, because um, people feel compelled to create you know X number of songs. You know, that takes a long time. It's got to at least sound cohesive. Uh, you know, but for me, like I, I don't know why you wouldn't just as an artist release songs as you make them. You know, there was an economic reason back in the day when you could bundle like two or three good songs before people could buy 15 for a heightened price but that's gone away now so in the streaming era i think we're back to the 50s where it was just a singles driven thing so i think that unless you truly have a concept like you know like a damn like good kid mad city or you know um you know something like rhapsody's like uh you know rhapsody's last album um, even royce yeah, has it on the album. royce yeah royce from the book of vine and like uh and, but unless you have like a unifying theme like that that truly mandates that you have like a, an audio journey over like the course of you know forty five minutes or whatever it may be, I don't really see the point, you know. So um, you know, but in terms of the numbers, I don't know. It's hard. Like on the one hand, you're right. Jay Z didn't put his name on it, um, you know. So a lot of people, kind of casual Jay Z fans, might not discover that. And it's, it's definitely a driven Jay electronic electronic project project but um it still does have jay-z and jay has not released an album since 444 which is what like 2017 something like that yeah you know so that's a moment and well the carters i mean but i see what you're saying that was yeah that's true but even that yeah um but you know so and it's still a moment for hip-hop it's a moment that hip-hop has waiting been waiting for for 10 years so I'm not saying it's a loss, right? Because obviously it came out on in the midst of the greatest, you know, challenge and tragedies that's faced humankind in our generation. You know, um, so that's not to be um, that's not to be uh, undersold. And you know, it's also crazy to me that Jay Z has had two projects that he's been strongly affiliated with dropping on two different tragedies like this, three different dropping on September 11th, but. Um, I still, I expected a bigger reaction um, because of just the setup for it. Yeah, one of the things, I, I hear you on that. And, and, and unlike, you know, September 11th, everyone, you know, at least in the last week is, is, is home or should be home if, if they can be. Um, and I'm noticing a lot of people doing what you and I are talking about, deeper dives in music and film and picking up books again and, you know, so on and so forth. The thing that I do love about Jay-Z is, he puts his inspiration out front. Um, you know, uh, there over the years, there were always rumblings of, you know, different, different collaborative projects that Jay would do apart from the R. Kelly stuff. You know, the, I think the commission with Biggie, um, you know, was something that Jay was tied into. And then there was always grumblings that him, DMX and Ja Rule were going to make, you know, like murder Graham after they had those two or three records. Obviously that, that stuff didn't happen, but you know, Jay, you know, saw that screening or the script of American Gangster and, and redid that album on the fly. You know, there's the stories of the blueprint of how, you know, a beat tape really kind of lit a fire and sent him in a direction that changed his career. Um, Magna Carta, I think, was made in just a few days. So I like the fact that if Jay Electronica was working on something, or even if Jay said to Jay Electronica, come on, let's make this happen. Like, what do we need to do? You know, 40 days, um, let's make it happen. I'm glad that's fun art to me because I look at art as I disagree with you a little bit on the album. Like 
it's a moment in time. You know, Tupac made all eyes on me in 14 days. And it's not, you and I have talked about this years ago. It's, it's a classic album, but it's a flawed classic. Um, probably for the same reason that we're talking about. Some of the songs could easily be dismissed, but I don't ever want to live at a time where there aren't albums, even if they're not the most cohesive or thematic albums. So, I mean, is it, that, that's interesting. So I've always thought that uh, All Eyes On Me would have been, if it had been a, a single album, you know, stripped out five, six, however many songs it is, would be like an indisputable, you know, top five, you know, of all time. Mm. You know, I, I personally think that Biggie is the only one who's made a truly masterful, like, you know, from the beginning to end, like, double album. Yeah. But, but you know, so going back to your love for albums, is it just that you, as a fan, want to have, like, um, a, a large number of songs, like a, a real body of work to consume from an artist that you like at one time? Is, is that what it is, rather than just having it meted out? It's almost like, you know, being able to binge on a series like a Netflix series versus being forced to wait like week to week. Is it right. I just think an artist statement should be bigger than one song. Um, one of the best things I think that Kanye has done in the last few years was, you know, the 2000 and what was it? 18, you know, with Daytona and Nas, like making everyone comfortable with, you know, a 20 minute or a 30 minute project. And Kanye wasn't the first, but he did it on a, on a major level like that. Um, I like that because to me, Daytona is a series of looks. Um, and I'm almost disappointed that infrared's on the end of the album. You know, that's, that's neither here nor there, but I, to me, it stands apart from the message of the album. Um, that being said in a time of 30 minute, 20 minute, 40 minute projects, when Royce comes with the allegory, which is my favorite album so far of 2020. And it's what 22 songs over an hour. To me, it's all killer, no filler. Um, it really makes you appreciate Royce at that, at that, at that level, you know? Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that album too. Um, I know, you know, last year, like when we first heard that preview, like that was probably your album of the year for last year. Um, so what is it about that album that resonates for you? And also like, it's, I think it's interesting too, that like um, the two, uh, I think top, albums or contenders right now for this year are both produced by guys who are phenomenal lyricists um, who yeah. have taken on production secondarily and probably don't get the kind of credit they, they should for crafting the beats that, that they're putting together. But like, but what is it about the, the allegory that speaks to you? That's a really good point about, you know, Jay Electronic and Royce. Um, the allegory to me is just so lofty. I, um, I was never the brightest student when it came to philosophy, <laughs> which I know is an area where you and I differ greatly. So to take, um, you know, Plato's The Allegory of the Cave and, you know, parse it out into a hip hop album that's not too heavy handed is, that's amazing to me. I mean, that's not an album that I would want to listen to if you, if you pitched it that way to me. And it was only after I heard the album that Royce told me that last year. Um, so that's one. And, and I really, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about, I think Ambrosia for Heads is a reflection of bridging the gap, making sure that folks that are 45 years old feel included in the discussion of hip hop and also treating the 18 year olds with dignity and respect along with their music. And to me, that album is just an intersection of that. I mean, to um, take Royce who has a proven steadfast audience and, um, put G Perico on it from the West Coast in a song where they both can exist beautifully and not deviate from who they are is amazing. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of messaging there. Um, and the production is phenomenal. And to me, one of the things I love about the album and Royce, like as a debut producer, um, it has these riffs, these like references to, you know, um, Tom's Diner by, what is it? Suzanne Vega or Dana Dane nightmares like there's these little that aren't samples but are these nods that is my favorite thing in hip-hop production like that's why i love hip-hop is you're you're nodding to all of these other influences and royce does that so well let alone the interludes yeah you know royce is is very very interesting to me you know his last three albums um layers uh book of ryan and this i think are you know by far his best work ever you know and, mm -hmm. um, I can't think of an MC uh, who has improved more 
over time. You know, I mean, Royce is always nice with it, right? Like, like, like yeah, he's always been incredible lyricist. But even you know, you watch him. I was looking at Drink Chance before, and he was talking about his first album that he did for Tiny Boy, and how the feedback he got from them. The reason why they didn't put it out is that it, his music didn't tell them anything about him as an artist, right? Mm. Um, and so, but you know, fast forward to Book of Ryan, and it's the most personal uh, work he's ever done, and one of the most personal bodies of work in hip hop that I can remember of all time. Uh, so he's clearly like past that, um, but you know, to, to have achieved the kind of lyrical dexterity that he has, and to combine that with the, the personal nature and the now commentary with the allegory, I think he is really. Um, I can't think of another person who's improved at this stage in their career the way that he has. Can you? The only that I always come back to is Master Ace, um, but there's a difference there. I mean. Royce still has a foot in the mainstream, um, you know, in, in the last decade, you know, gold records and all that. And that's not to discredit Ace in any way, but Royce, um, yeah, has just done it in a different light. But to me, I would take the disposable arts, you know, long, hot summer, even into a Brooklyn story from, you know, a year and a half ago. And to me, Master Ace is making better music than he was as a member of the Juice Crew as you know his first album and even in my opinion this is just my opinion and a lot of folks may disagree i prefer the maturity and 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 grace of his music to the stuff that he did with mass ace incorporated yeah no i agree i agree um you know i'm sure there are others but just royce is just so notable you know i think he's 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 like you know he's moving himself into that conversation you know um, a lot of people talk about goats and everything and i don't hear his name mentioned very much outside of, you know, uh, when Kino and I, you know, his manager and I, like, uh, were, were debated. Um, but, like, I think he's legitimately in that conversation. I think Budden will say it, right? You know, uh, yeah. Budden will say, at the very least, that Royce and Kendrick are the best two out right now. I've heard him say that on, on a number of occasions. But I think that that conversation needs to be opened up beyond just right now to say, you know, look, this dude, you know, Black Thought, these kind of, like, um, sleeper rappers who everyone knows and respects but aren't in that same conversation with Biggie and Pac and Jay and, you know, whoever. I think the time is now to put him in that conversation. And that's just it, too. And, you know, one of the last things we did, um, you know, on the site was interview Royce um, at the end of February. And Royce is now wearing a ring, like a four-finger ring. It's dope. I'm not even a jewelry guy. And it's a, it's a, you see it on his hand. And um, we asked him about it. And I love it. His answer was, there's many goats. But I think you're absolutely right. Royce is the first artist, um, I think he's in his 40s, that has entered the goat conversation at this stage in the game. Uh, You know, so uh, to completely contradict what I said earlier about hot takes. Yeah. (laughs) Childish Gambino, uh, Donald Glover, just released his album, you know, that he streamed a little bit last week, you know, in full. so what's your hot take on that album yeah i'm one listening i mean it it was it was this morning and um i really i like it like i said earlier i have this playlist so i moved three joints off of off of the album onto my playlist but what i um algorithm (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh i um yeah I, i i like it it's it's dynamic um it's interesting it's it's classic just what what he does but i i think that you have a close relationship um to the music at least since 2019 um or 2018 so i'd really like to know your thoughts well so so donald is one of my favorite like uh artists of the last probably like uh, five or ten years you know um he's another one that i got to work with a bit when i was on bt i met him you know first time we got we did the cypher and we kicked it down <laughs> And every time I've interacted with him, he's been the same guy. You know, his, his stardom has skyrocketed since 2012 or whatever that year was when he was, you know, he already had his, like, um, his community thing. He was writing and stuff like that. But, like, he wasn't, like, the international superstar that he is now. Yeah. But his energy has always been the same with me. Like, super humble, nice, like, you know, um, really good dude. But one of my greatest musical experiences ever um, was when I was at South by Southwest, I think it was like 2014, 2015, 2013 probably, uh, right after, um, because the internet dropped, um, I was at a genius party 
in a private house. It was maybe like 40 people. And he did a, a set in a living room that was just him and a keyboardist and I think like a, a bass guitar player. And he did uh, uh, Pink Toes. He did um, 2000, uh, uh, 3000, 3005. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. 3005. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he did Quincy Jones's Tomorrow, a song by Tevin Campbell. Dude, like, like literally, <laughs> like hair stood up on my arms. It was like damn near half me in tears. You know what I mean? It was yeah. incredible. Um, and then I saw him the next night rock like 20,000 people. And I thought, oh, you know, there's no way it's going to be as phenomenal as that was because that's such an intimate, like, one of a kind experience. And it was still great. The dude is just, he's amazing. So I'm a huge fan. Um, so, you know, one take in, I'm listening to it, and it's interesting, right? It's, it's conceptual. Um, it got me thinking about him as an artist and how, you know, a lot of artists who start in rap are judged when they sing. You know, I think that, you know, Fonte, you know, great singer, puts together great albums, but those yeah. who grew up loving him as a rapper often want him to rap instead of want him to sing. Uh, you know, I think if you came in with Foreign Exchange, you, it's probably different because you're experiencing him that way. And, you know, I like both, you know, aspects. Um, you know, same thing with like a Drake, you know, those who like experienced him rapping want him to rap, like, you know, and so on. Gambino, I don't even think about it. I don't even right. think about it. Like, whatever he puts out, it's just him and his artistry. Like, I don't think about the fact that, you know, Awaken My Love didn't have, like, rapping on it. You know, it was just him, like, just doing his thing. Um, you don't think Drake has that a little bit? Like, where people are just ready and they trust the brand? Uh, I think it really, I think it's a gender thing to some degree. Uh, okay. You know, I think that, like, uh, uh, for many women, like, that's cool. Like, whatever he does is cool. I think for a lot of dudes, they, they prefer Drake rapping. Yeah, because uh, you know he's you know I think it's a little uncomfortable for a lot of dudes, you know. <laughs> so, Possibly, yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, let's say transparent about his emotions. Uh, I personally love like uh, you know I put together a, a you know a best of Drake playlist um, uh, at the beginning of the year, and it turns out to be the perfect like playlist for the decade in the, of the tw of the 20 teens because no matter what you think of Drake he was ubiquitous and so there's so many memories of like you know either being in a club or like you know with people that you like or whatever like it's it's great for that but um back to Bang Gambino I don't know I, I, it's interesting because uh, he doesn't rap at all on the album and I don't really miss it um so I was listening to it conceptually and I, it's interesting I need to spend some time with it and break it down I think it's interesting that he uh, it's very of the moment in terms of both the album title and the song titles. Yeah, uh, it's very much like plug in right now and be present. Uh, I think that some of the lyrics and I wrote some of this stuff down um, are really incredible and show that I think a lot of this stuff was probably recorded within the last. I don't know. I would speculate that some of it was recorded, you know, over the years. You know, obviously feels like summer, but I think other things are probably recorded maybe as recent as the last ten. Like uh, I wanted to ask you. Because again, we're we're just one listen in. But is that is that the same take or the same version of "Feels Like Summer" as we got in? Yeah. yeah okay. It's the same take. That was one of my favorite songs. Last year. I know every single like note of that song. Yeah, but I mean, and and not to deviate too far, but to your point again, like it was amazing. Like I put on the album and I did other things in the room, and to watch it come into that was I, it was one of the moments I was like, damn, yeah. Um, and obviously, there's a familiarity there. But again, it makes a case for more than just singles because i otherwise you only got it in that two pack you know yeah. um so anyway keep going i'm sorry well i mean um yeah so like the song algorithm right first of all like just to play on words it's like super cool uh, yeah rhythm and rhythm but uh you know he he's saying nothing can live forever you know we're gonna try looking for something worth it the algorithm is perfect you know um i don't know it's just really this kind of like metaphysical take on life and you know, basically, like, I think we all are faced with our mortality right now more than ever, you know, and he was, like, singing about the cycle of life stuff and just, like, you know, what it is. So I thought that was... I really like that song, and then, too. And then, he, and then he wrote, keep on, he's saying, uh, keep on moving, you might survive, right? I mean, like, just, like, putting that out now is, like, you know, really interesting. And then, like, um, on time, it says, time is everlasting, but I can't wait that long. Um, hmm. And then... Um, you know, on 53.49, it says, when you're looking at the devil, but you're looking in the mirror, what you're going to say? 
you know, it just, it's just a really uh, reflective, and he's just, and that's the thing that has always struck me about him is that he's just so smart and a genius. Like, you know how much I love that interview that he did for, I don't know, G, uh, I don't can't remember what it was. It was, uh, it was Esquire, right? Esquire, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, but you know, one of the things he talked about in that article was the nature of the algorithm. And, you know, we wrote yeah. an article about it um, and how he sees life as an algorithm and how he figured out how to hack it. And I'm yeah. dying to see him again. I, I'd love to see him because I want to really figure out what he meant by that. What? What? How do we hack the algorithm? And, um, and so, you know, starting off the song like that, you know, I think there's deeper meaning there. So, yeah, I want to dig into it, but so far, I like it a lot. I agree, and I mean, it's funny when you're when you're a content creator, which is a word I have a weird relationship with. But you know, so often over the last few years, I've been frustrated with the tendency of music, like. You know, March 15th, 2015, Kendrick Lamar flips the switch and releases, you know, um, to Pimp a Butterfly, what was it, like three or four days early. And, you know, we've had, we've had those moments of surprise albums and, you know, all of this. And now I can be a fan. Like, I don't have to worry about, oh, my goodness, you know, we look stupid if we don't cover. Now it's like, that's really cool to put an album out there. It's available for a few hours disappears now comes back like Donald Glover, even down to the concert experience you're talking about and his 3d shows and that, you know, that film he made last year with Rihanna, uh, Guava Island. He really makes artistry look fun in the present day. Yeah, that's right. And sonically, um, I hear a lot in it too. Like um, on algorithm, I hear some Justin Timberlake, you know, on time, he's got some gospel influences. On twelve thirty eight, there's Prince vibes. And yeah, he mixes that with uh, Twenty One Savage. The dude is just so like mega talented. You know, um, I want to dig into it some more, but yeah, I, it's great, and I'm, I'm glad that he put it out. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I thought that this was going to happen with the Trump election. I thought that that, that was going to inspire a lot of great art, and it has. And we got Damn, and like uh, you know, Kenyatta. And, you know, some really incredible stuff. But I think that this is going to inspire really, really, really great artwork, you know, in addition to, like, the, the stuff that we're seeing with the music system. You mean when you say this, you mean the pandemic? The pandemic, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that that's true of D-Nice. And, you know, after D-Nice did it, DJ Premier, whose birthday it was on the 21st, did a super set, too. Um, like, we're living in an interesting time where artists have our undivided attention again. And whether you're a DJ, you're an MC, you're a singer. Um, I don't, I hope this doesn't go as long as it could, as experts say it could, but to what you just said, it's an amazing time for artists to remind us all why we need art. Yeah. So uh, believe it or not, we've been going an hour and change and uh, <laughs> you know, I want to keep these tight. Um, hope we don't get to three hours unless it's, it's, it's dictated yeah um but you know um we'll keep it going as as I, I said before it's a work in progress and you know hopefully the people are down with it you know at, at the very least this has been amazing for me just to connect with you on this level so if we can just even if it's just like the beginning of AFH where I'm just like you know talking to like myself and like two or three friends yeah I'm totally down with that you know what I mean um but I hope that this is like you know hopeful and entertaining and engaging because I think we're all looking for that in some way. Absolutely. Well, um, let me ask you a question, and, and I don't know if you have an answer, but maybe a fitting place to uh, to close. Do you have a song of the week, of the week that was? A song of the week. Damn, that's a hard one, man. I've been, um, I've been listening to so much stuff um, lately. You know what, let me, uh, I'm going I'm to uh, pull up, like, uh, the songs of the day, because, you know, I tell the people, one of the things we've been doing, Jake and I and Amanda, for the last uh, several years is, is doing a song of the day in the document, and um, that's been uh, something that we've, like, carried on even after AFH was done. Um, you know, so um, I will say that my song of, of the week, if I have one, Seriously, going through my uh, my library now because shit has just been so. I've been listening to so much stuff lately. Um, I don't know. You tell me yours first, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll look. 
Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's it's been interesting because this this week has allowed me to go to a corner of music that I don't often seek, which is like darker, depressing, confused music. So you know, um, you and I have texted each other links to things. It's been everything from you know uh, West Coast gangster rap about being locked up. I, I found a great song from back in the day called County Jail by an Inglewood group called All From The Eye that was uh, signed by Mac-10 to Cage, um, you know, who was uh, an artist on Duff Jooks and Eastern Conference. But the song of the week is a classic, um, Marvin Gaye, Inner City Blues. Um, that's just, I didn't live, you know, I'm 36 years old, so I wasn't around for the Vietnam era. But it amazed me that song came on uh, a shuffle radio this week, and it it resonated so powerfully with my own confusion and what I see as somebody who's living in a city that's watching this confusion together in Philadelphia. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my song of the week. Makes me want to holler. That's a good one. Uh, that one always takes me back, you know, just the chords like, uh, you know, it's been sampled obviously in hip hop so much, uh, formula, yeah. I had a time with my son actually uh, where he really pissed me off. I was in some hood where I love dearly, but uh, <laughs> there was a time where um, he like got he got me to lose my cool in a way that I rarely ever do. And so we were driving. I had given him a haircut because he refused to go to the barber shop that day, and eventually I, I ended up cutting it myself. And like that's another thing about this pandemic. Like I don't have like dreads by the time this thing is over. You know what I mean? <laughs> But, um, you know, in doing that, um, I messed his haircut up bad, right? And the last thing I wanted was for his mom, like, who, you know, was my ex, uh, you know, to see what his head looked like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's traumatized. I'm traumatized. And so um, I hit up my guy, Malik, who was my barber at the time. And it was a Saturday night at, like, 9. I said, yo, Malik, like, we need, we need your help. And so he was like, yo, come through. So we drove to Jersey. And, uh, you know, Malik fixed the haircut and everything at, at like 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. And, like, I was okay. Um, but on that ride, you know, Jordan and I had been silent. And I wanted to play something that he remembered, uh, you know. And it was, I played uh, Makes Me Want to Holler. And, like, you know, it, it soothed both of us. And we had a great exchange and conversation after that. You know, he was only like six or seven at the time. But, like, um, amazing. But for me, I guess it was inspired by the conversation that uh, I saw between MC8 and Talib Kweli. You know, MC8 talked about being in a routine Colonel video back in the day, which is nuts, right? When uh, Enter the, the, the Wu, um, 36 Chambers. And the song was, can it be, can it be is all so simple again? You know, like, uh, you know, and that for me is uh, my song of the week because, you know, given what we're all going I think we're all reminiscent of like, you know, a day back in time, even just two weeks ago, could not be more simple. And you know, mm. I think it's also helpful though, because uh, you know, I'm not a big proponent of being nostalgic. And I think that, you know, the past is often glorified. And I think we got a lot of great stuff to look forward to in the future. So yeah. Word. All right, my man. To be continued. Indeed. All right. Love. Peace.